me. You're listening to the Two Guys Talking Podcast Network. Have you ever had the feeling of being watched? Hidden eyes following you? A cold chill crawling up your spine? The hairs on the back of your neck standing straight up? Do you know what that is? It's fear. It's fear. Fear is the most basic human emotion, tied into our instinct to survive. Fear gives us the means to overcome great odds or cripple us with paralyzing dread. Dread. But fear can also entertain. Turn off all the lights, lock your closet door, and ignore the sounds from beneath your bed. It's time for Two Guys Talking Horror. There are many logos that you can look at around you, on your mobile device, on your drive home, inside the boob tube, and thousands of other places daily. Only one logo conjures the answer, however, to the question, who you gonna call? In 1984, Ivan Reitman directed a special feature film exploring the paranormal, the normal, and the comedic inside of New York City. It was called Ghostbusters. It was deliberate, it was fun, and it continues to receive stellar reviews now even 30 plus years later. It is also the seed for many new efforts that feature the moniker Ghostbusters. How did the original win hearts? What did you think of the original 1984 romp that talks about a gatekeeper, a keymaster, a destructor, and the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man? <laughs> it's all here inside the Two Guys Talking Horror perspective review of Ghostbusters, 1984, directed by Ivan Reitman, on the Two Guys Talking Podcast Network. Greetings, everybody. I'm Mike Wilkerson, one of your hosts. And I'm Nicholas J. Hearn, your other host. Nick, it's always fun to jump into perspective reviews, but this one even more so, mostly because... We don't do a lot of comedy inside of the two guys talking realm of things. No, no, not a lot. I, I think on, you know, I can't think of another funny movie, actually, that we've done a perspective review to date. And so this might not only be our first. It may not be deliberately funny. I mean, you think of the Toy Story films. Those are funny, but you wouldn't call them comedies. You would call them animated features that just happen to be comedy. Yeah. I, I, they have funny moments. So you, you know, that might be a very strange call to the audience, right, as we start this perspective. Ooh, right out the can, gate. Yeah. You guys tell us, do you consider Ghostbusters, the original 1984 Ghostbusters, a comedy or not? Let us know what you think by going over to our website over at twoguystalkinghorror.com. Click the contact button on the right-hand side of the page. Fill in the quick web form and tell us what you guys think and how this should appropriately be categorized inside of our growing catalog of podcast reviews. Yeah, The bottom line here, Nick, is that it is, a, I think, a, a very comedic and funny film. It is. It, it has its moments it, of, it, of, of flat-out comedy, and then there's moments of subtle comedy. Yeah, and... I am not the traditional intake point for comedy. Mm. I, I definitely like a couple of comedies, but not very many, yeah. especially that come out today. The 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 dick joke, har har moments inside of most movies today that are labeled as comedies, I'm really just to terribly not interested in. Right. Uh, this one, however, it's got the machinations and the personnel to pull off some really great dry 
dry roast comedy, and I, I really do enjoy it. Well, it's smart comedy. You have you have some great – I mean, Ivan Reitman as your director, but mm-hmm. you also have – you've got Dan Aykroyd and Harold Ramis, two comedy geniuses. Yeah. And not just comedy, yeah. just storytelling geniuses yeah. in, in, in yeah. their own right. I, I think that might be where I think you have it totally right, where it might veer out of the comedic – slash comedy moniker and actually be something else mm. that is just that straight storytelling, but it's definitely got humorous twists. Yes, yes. And that they're all working inside of that same tandem, funny, deep, rich storytelling that gets you running and never really stops until the end of the film. Oh, yeah. I really enjoy that inside this movie. Uh, a couple of quick housekeeping bits. The Under Siege Perspective Review. Those of you that are curious about the Under Siege Perspective Review, remember that's where I'm going to be asking on Chris Sinog, a retired former Navy SEAL, whom I just happened to graduate high school with, uh, on to talk about what you see inside of the movie Under Siege to tell you what's real, what's not so real. But more importantly, the detail you didn't get inside of that movie when it comes to SEAL interaction from a real Navy SEAL. The First Blood Perspective Review. I know those of you wondering about the comedy and the horror, why are we talking about these two military perspective reviews? And it's because they both are going to feature some outstanding detail. I've got a couple of surprises up my sleeve for the First Blood Perspective Review that I think all of you are going to just absolutely be bowled over by. Brian Dennehy's going to be here, right? Brian Dennehy. I I, I can't tell you who. I can't tell you who, but it's going to be tremendous. I want all of you to go and check it out over at twoguystalking.com forward slash first blood for more details. Nick, it's time to put on our proton packs, jump into the white Ecto-1, and head down the boulevard towards the Ghostbusters 1984 Perspective Review on the Two Guys Talking Horror podcast. I'm afraid to go podcast. The hype. What do you remember in regard to hype for this film? What do you remember seeing? Uh, there was... Uh... Oh, and just for some context, well. for those of you that are curious, I-, I am 46 years old at the time of this recording. Nick is... I'm 37. 37 just turned 37. Recording. And so 32 years ago, you would have been five years old. I was you five. Probably, you so probably there, didn't see this first release. There was... Uh, well, I did not see this in the theater. I I saw this yeah. later on on VHS. Wow! Every time we do a perspective review, especially as we slide down the sliding scale of age, I continue to realize how old I'm getting. VHS, <laughs> uh, HBO was also popular at the yeah. time, so I yeah. saw it on cable as yeah. well. Yeah, yeah, I remember definitely seeing it on cable as well. But uh, the hype for this film was really, really large. This is when way back then all you had were posters, and of course you had the the foursome poster of all four of them with their proton packs pointing at you with. Onion Head slash Slimer on the poster with, of course, the giant red and white Ghostbusters logo up on the top of it. That was the poster for it. But more importantly, they had gone in and gotten some very creepy trailers rolling, which we'll link up to inside the show notes for this episode over at twoguystalkinghorror.com forward slash Ghostbusters. That it featured so much comedy was very strange inside of a very short, creepy trailer. Mm. That simply couldn't be contained. Because by the end of all of the trailers for this film, you eventually got to something funny. Because well, how yeah. could you not? Right. I, I love that. I, I I miss the days of simpler, shorter trailers where every single bit, regardless of special effect or comedy or action or surprise, 
all of those weren't just blown out in a wad inside of a trailer back then. I really do miss that time. Right. There is no podcast, only Zoom. The money. Boy, talking about gargantuan boatloads, corn combines of cash, yeah. as usual. Do you have any idea at all if you if you accidentally glanced at what this movie made or not? No, I did okay. not. I didn't want to cheat. Nick, why don't you just take a quick stab at the the domestic gross collection? Presently or, or back then? Uh, the, of all time? Yeah, or? Fr- from then until now. From then until now? Yeah. Uh, 90 million. Uh, a little bit more than that. In fact, quite a bit more than that. It's $242 million. $242 million. Yeah. And, and that, again, that's domestic. And I think what, what I really got staggered on when I was looking at these numbers, uh, give me a guess on the foreign intake for this movie. $400 million. It's only $52 million. What? what? I know. I know. And for those of you that are wondering, why are they so surprised? I can't believe that. Why are they so shocked that the foreign number is so small? And the answer is because nowadays when we look at the foreign intake for films, Nick and I were just in the prelude talking about giant Marvel films. Traditionally, a giant Marvel film will draw, I don't know, maybe 180% of what a feature film takes in early during yeah. the first couple of weeks before it ever even gets to, to America. Oh, yeah. And so that there's only $52 million total for this film ever is very, very strange to mm. me. I, 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 I can't quite put my finger on that. I guess I don't understand the licensing rights of how that it doesn't spill out uh, foreign from back I then to now. I don't, I, yeah. I don't know how it works, but I, that, that was definitely striking. What that essentially means, everyone, is that this movie has made about $300 million over the course of its life, which is a ton of money. It's a ton of money even today, but now imagine it back then. It, it was a corn combine of cash, mm. and something that I've mentioned inside of the teaser, the draw, to almost all of you that have come to listen to this, this perspective review, is that when looking at, we'll talk a little bit about this inside the franchise stuffs too, when you look at this compared to the second feature film, Ghostbusters 2, but then also this new breed not associated with but has all kinds of hails to the chiefs of comedy in it, new Ghostbusters 2016. It is amazing at how strong the reviews for this movie are. Mm-hmm. At 98%, 32 years later. I believe it. That is a striking number, especially for a comedy that could have went any way. It was something that Nick and I really marveled at when we were watching some of the resources for this review, is that all the special effects people, they knew that this was going to be dumb entertainment. Mm-hmm. And it is. It, it absolutely is. But what really... Uh, again, drew me to it and why I love watching feature stuffs. All of the special effects people admitted that it was absolutely dumb, but it was also the best quality special effects yeah. ever. And it really does show. It, it shows the craftsmanship. Uh, and we'll talk more about the special effects as we get in deep, but that is a, a definitive reason why this movie, Ghostbusters 1984, continues to knock them dead inside of Hollywood and outside. Who are you going to call? Two guys talking. The good. Every perspective review contains things that are good. This one has a ton of them, and again, at 97%, 32 years later, you can't imagine that there aren't a whole ton of them. Let's get straight into it. Super suspenseful opening sequence. 
Every time I think of movie openings, every time I think of television series openings, in fact, unfortunately, I just got done finishing out Stranger Things on Netflix, Netflix original. For those of you that are maybe older and completely not familiar with the Netflix phenomenon, uh, watching via Netflix is a very, very different experience than going to see a feature film. You are not in a chair for 90 minutes. You are in a chair for, in the case of Stranger Things, eight specific episodes at 53 minutes each. So you can choose how long you it takes for you to get through them. Yeah. Typically, my wife and I try to get in between two and three episodes in a sitting so as to make the time feel valuable. Right. And in many cases, depending on the series, we've actually sat longer than that to watch things. The the dreaded binge watching, which I think everybody's experienced at least once. Oh, yeah. Depending on which series you're watching. Now, inside that series, Stranger Things, what happens is there's a reasonably effective lead-in for that series, which unfortunately is way too rare. Same thing with movies. Movies nowadays traditionally have a really hard thumbs up or thumbs down for me mm. when it comes to launching into a movie. It's incredibly important, uh, especially when you consider movie tickets nowadays are between 9 and $14 when you go and see them first run. You really do want something satisfying. You multiply that times two or three people when you're taking it to the theater, and you, you really do want some return on your investment. Right. This film, Ghostbusters 1984, is one of the ones I point to as to one of the most effective introduction scenes of all time it is super succinct it gives you exactly what you're expecting you're going to a movie that includes the word ghost in the title right it's absolutely suspenseful and it and energizes the entire front end of the film it really really is good mm. the great thing about the opening of this film is oh, okay you're going to see a movie called ghostbusters but going in you, you would know that this movie is starring bill murray dan Aykroyd. And Harold Ramis, three names, especially in 1984, three names that are synonymous with comedy. Mm -hmm. So you're like, oh, it's going to be like Stripes, but they're going to fight ghosts instead of, Razzle, you know. dazzle. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. All right. So this scene happens, and all of a sudden you're like, what the, whoa. It's it's creepy. It sets a, a, a mood that, and it's one of the great things about the film is that it keeps doing this. It's. Okay, we're going to show you something you're not expecting. We're going to try to creep you out. Then we're going to give you uh, some levity. And then, oh, guess what? Here, we're creeping you out again. It's it, it's one of the reasons why uh, I along feel... Along with some tech detail. The, the tech detail oh, is something well, else yeah. we're also yeah. going to talk well, about it's, it, it's one of the things that grounds it in reality mm -hmm. as well. Mm -hmm. You you care about these characters because they are they seem real and genuine. Yeah. especially with their dialogue and, and knowing what they're talking about. And it's one of the reasons why I, I view 1984's Ghostbusters as the quintessential horror comedy movie. Yeah, this, It has the moments of horror. There are things, especially as a child growing up, I remember there were there were parts of Ghostbusters I was afraid of. Not yeah. afraid anymore, of yeah. course. I'm older. Yeah. But back then, as a five, six, seven-year-old, mm -hmm. yeah, there's some yeah. creepy parts. Yeah, very creepy parts. And we're going to get into a, a lot of what we just talked about as we continue this review of Ghostbusters 1984. <laughs> the scene I envision for everyone I meet. Believe it or not, Nick, depending on how grating I think someone's personality is, mm -hmm. this testing scene where somebody's attached to an electrode 
is something I think of quite regularly, even oh. now as a 46-year-old man. <laughs> I, 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 there are many times where I wish that people were just set up with electrodes so I could have them stop doing things that annoy me incessantly. I see. So why are you doing that again? I, I would be doing that. I would do that regularly without the awesome dry humor of Bill Murray here. Right. Without the lying to just get in some blonde's pants just to do it. I, I would I would do that without question inside this. Scene. Electrodes are always fun. Yeah. And, and this scene is another one where we're introduced to a guy that is absolutely a comedian. There, there was no straight laced Bill Murray at this time inside of anything feature film. And so seeing him inside this role where it, it, it he's a scientist? What? Yeah. That y- you really do understand where he's playing in in the scientific water. You get that. All right, right. But then you also realize that that, that game show host slash con man slash I really don't want to be a scientist guy is also there. It's it's one of my favorite roles with Bill Murray, without question. Well, the interesting thing about that is that they even they even set it up in dialogue early in the film mm-hmm. when they kick, get kicked off of yeah. campus. Yeah, the dean basically says, you know, you're you're a horrible scientist. You look at you look at science as a con or a dodge. That sets up that character. He is the guy that's just going to he he will schmooze the pants off of you mm-hmm. to get what he wants. Mm-hmm. And because my thing is, is that I've always wondered is how did Peter Venkman get a PhD in psychology and parapsychology? Was he like the bottom of his class? Did he just eke through to get those PhDs? Something I've only just realized, and it was thankfully totally due to a gentleman named Jocko Willink that I've connected to just by listening to his podcast. Jocko Willink is a retired former Navy SEAL Mm -hmm. who was in charge of the group of people that included Chris Kyle, the American sniper. Mm -hmm. And he has a a very prolific podcast, which again, we'll link to over at the show notes for this podcast. And inside of the discussion with he and his essentially mastered arms, the other guy, uh, his name is Leif. During their discussion recently, what they talked about was you guys all think of the concept of Navy SEAL. Okay, you have it in your mind, you bring it open, whether it's something like the under siege, you go, wow, Steven Seagal, he was a seal in that. That's what it means. Or, you know, a little bit something more like, I don't know, Chris Kyle as a Navy seal. Okay, or something in between. What you have to remember is that there is always that top end of the spectrum in regard to being a Navy seal. Mm. But then there's also the guys that just squeak by and make their way into being the seals. Right. It doesn't mean that they're bad. But there is a there is a bell curve for everything in life. Yeah. <laughs> and so my guess is that Peter Venkman definitively bottom left-hand side of the bell curve. <laughs> the value of Dan Aykroyd and the tech speak. This being only two years outside of the release of the original Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan... Obviously, anybody that knows Star Trek and tech speak, you'll know that Star Trek is rife with all kinds of tech speak. Oh, yeah. The only thing better than Star Trek and tech speak mixed together is when you add on Dan Aykroyd. (laughs) And the tech speak and the science stuff that's pushed inside of this is not accidental by any stretch. Those of you that know anything about Dan Aykroyd, you know that one, very involved in the paranormal. Yes. Hardcore. Uh, Two... 
that he knows a lot of these concepts and would probably describe to you why they are real as opposed to why they could be used in a feature film to sound real. <laughs> right. Oh, yeah. And so that he's got all this stuff locked away in his brain but can spot it off so quickly and just make it sound like a matter of courses or sitting there talking to people in front of a screen. Mm-hmm. I love that. I love that. It, it is glue. It is, it, it is uh, It's like a racetrack for Hot Wheels cars. Where does the car need to go? That way. And Dan Aykroyd, inside of just about every movie that he's ever been in, is that for what he's doing. Right. In this case, he just happens to be a scientist that's focusing in on the paranormal and the raw science of what's going on that's also conveyed. I really appreciate that about him in the movie. Well, not only not only that, but you you believe, you get this sense I that... believe is a very good word. Aykroyd is playing his character, uh, his, his character, him playing Ray... You believe he's a scientist, but you also, because thanks to the contrast between he and Harold Ramis's character, Egon, Egon is the more uh, very non-emotional, all, 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 not clinical, all, uh, all calculating yeah. science. Super fact. He's always boy. about, yeah. it's always about the numbers for him. Mm-hmm. Whereas Ray is the, oh, wow, that is so cool. He, I love science. Yeah, he's the available mouthpiece that Egon cannot be. Right. Egon is the instant shields up moment for anybody that meets him, regardless of what he's talking about, whether it's the delicious nature of this sandwich or some giant technical thing about being a Ghostbuster. Right. Nobody wants to talk to Egon. On the other hand, Ray is the guy that you want to talk to, whether he's going to convey the details that you need right now, mm. not too sure, but he's absolutely the more personable science guy. And then you got Vinkman on the other side right. where he is only interested in being personable. And if he happens to accidentally spill some science on you, well, okay, that's okay too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> is this Bill Murray's best work? I know that all of us, especially people my age, have been watching Bill Murray for a very long time through the kind of jackass hilarity of his early career inside of Meatballs and Caddyshack and uh, movies like this one, where it, it, it's definitely way more leaning towards hilarity. Mm. His television stuff on Saturday Night Live is still legendary so many years later. But then you've got a lot of really great acting from this man that a lot of people probably still haven't seen, believe it or not. Yeah. I know that I've only seen a couple of his straight acting things, and it's because I really do want to remember him in this. I don't know that I want a, a straight-laced acting Bill Murray. I, I want this. I've always wanted this. Right. Which is why all the talks of sequels, except for the second movie, of course, inside of Ghostbusters realm over these now 32 years yeah. and never coming to fruition – was always so very strange because I would love to see a return of Peter Venkman somehow because I really enjoyed him inside this work. I thought it was his best work. Well, the thing is, is that the comedy in this film is not not all of it is played for laughs. Mm-hmm. Some of it is very conversational comedy mm-hmm. to where some people are going to get it. Some people aren't. Right. Some are going to chuckle. Some will go far. Mm-hmm. Really, it's situational conversational mm-hmm. comedy. Yeah. And it's where Bill Murray is, shines, really. Yeah. It's his it's his wit, his sarcasm. Mm-hmm. The, the uh, self-edification that Bill Murray pulls off inside of, I think every single line he passes off inside this film. Yeah. 
this was a very strange watching of this film recently as well. Typically, inside of perspective reviews for two guys talking anything, the hosts that are reviewing it don't typically sit and watch the movie beforehand together. One, I'm trying to remember the last time that I actually sat down, watched a movie with the co-host I'm going to review it with right before we sat down in front of the microphones. Now, we mm. did that tonight. Yep. It's got a definitively different flavor than what traditionally happens for perspective reviews. And it's fun. It really is fun. It gives the, it's a completely different flair. It also is a giant time suck though. The, the gist is that, that self-edification piece of what Venkman offers inside of this, Bill Murray is Venkman, offers inside of this. That's what I love about Bill Murray as an actor. Mm. This is what I want definitively. Something else with Bill Murray, I don't know that I'm interested in. Maybe we should ask the audience. I think that's a great question. We want to ask you guys, is this Bill Murray's best performance to date inside of Ghostbusters 1984, directed by Ivan Reitman? Let us know what you think by going to our website. That's twoguystalkinghorror.com. Click anywhere on the right-hand side of the page, fill out the quick web form, and tell us, was this Bill Murray's best acting? At initial invitation, we are all in magical character building in just minutes. I cannot tell you how rare this is. Back in 1984, you might have known a couple of the actors, but nobody knew who these characters were. Hmm. Nobody knew who Venkman was. Nobody knew what an Egon was, much less who it was. And you'd recognize Dan Aykroyd as a scientist, probably because he'd portrayed a couple inside of Saturday Night Live every now and then. But you didn't know who these guys were until seven and a half minutes into the movie. And you know what? You know them all. You know everything you need to know about those three operational characters, along with the, the whiny secretary lady, uh, along with everybody else that's assi- alongside all of these people. That's what doesn't happen in movies nowadays. There's either this long, drawn-out burn to try and learn about characters, or, uh, particularly in the case of this other program on Netflix, Stranger Things, there not only is a long burn, but then there's also the, I can't believe that happened, Mm. inside of the last couple of episodes. I get that you want to build a season two inside of a serialized on Netflix thing. I get that. Okay. But inside of traditional moviedom, Why don't you not have that and then have some of the character building, not only just throughout the movie, but somewhere on front so that you're familiar with the characters. This film does that in minutes. And I don't know why it can't be re-emulated. Well, they, I don't, I don't know what it is about modern filmmaking and modern storytelling now. It, Mm -hmm. it it seems, and and me as a writer, yes, character development is very important but sometimes it's just like you're beating somebody over the head with a mallet trying to get them to understand this character when really it should fall upon the performance of the actor along with the dialogue delivered because really what's important is who the character is now right and you get that from their actions and the way that they talk to people, their mm-hmm. interactions with other people. Yeah, yeah. And this film is a perfect example of not, you don't need to know anything about any of these characters before the events of this movie start at all. You don't have to ask, oh, well, I wonder when they all met. Did they meet here at in college? Were they friends beforehand? You don't need to worry about that because you don't have time to think about that. Right. The three of them, you can tell, okay, they're friends. They're colleagues. They each want 
sort of the same thing, but for different reasons. You know, Egon and Ray want to explore and discover and, and make breakthroughs about the paranormal. Venkman just wants to make money off of it. Because at the beginning of the movie, it's not about, you know, the, the truth is out there and I believe it's, oh, this is a bunch of horse shit. And I'll pretend I believe in it to get what I want. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And it, I, I think you've just capped it right there. That little piece of what Bill Murray provides as a character at the front end of this film, that is exactly what it is. And even after all of what happens inside of this film, you get to the end of the film where he's macking on uh, Dana at the end of this. He's still inside that boat. It's not about believing all of this. It's about getting what he wants. Oh, and by the way, look, some ghosts. Well, yeah, by the end of the movie, he <laughs> believes. It's like, okay, well, yeah, ghosts exist, but I'm still going to make some money. <laughs> right, 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 right. And I really appreciate that. I don't think I don't think there's enough movies where I get change of heart, and I get that the concept of a character experiencing the things inside of life and completely changing their perspective, I get the want to capture that inside of movies and storytelling. Right, right. I, I do get that. It's just not realistic. No. no. <laughs> as much as we want so many huge things to change inside of the span of a movie, most storytelling just doesn't happen that way. Real um, life people don't change no. like that. No. <laughs> the soundtrack and who you going to call? You talk about marketing genius and expertise back in the early 1980s. It doesn't get any more impactful then I Ain't Afraid of No Ghost, Who You Gonna Call, the stark red and white logo with a cartoon character in it, and the symbol that I now call the Ghostbusters symbol when I'm referring to just the circle with a red line through it. Yeah. I call that the Ghostbusters symbol even when the ghost doesn't appear in it. Right. Now, and I'm 46, <laughs> so that's the impact that this film and that logo and everything else in nature marketing-wise had on me. And that's tremendous. You know, name some of the other properties nowadays, especially inside of movies, that capture and, and, and put a stamp on a lexicon of understanding. And I don't know that you can. Even something as huge as like Hunger Games, where you've got the, the chipped bronze golden eagle logo-ness. Right. Eh, you know, it's there, but it doesn't instantly change the way that I think about things or want to explain what something needs to look like to somebody. No, hmm. no. Uh, name something else inside a movie that's been that impactful. I, I, I'm i trying to think of something. Star Wars. Let's use Star Wars. Star Wars Star is always Wars. a great back go back to. Yes, the most recent Star Wars film has the word Star Wars in it. Uh, yes, John Williams' music is featured inside of it. But you don't traditionally use Star Wars to think about some other pieces of language, where I do instantly inside of the circle with a line through it, you know, the Ghostbusters sign. Mm -hmm. And that instantly conjures a, a, a connotation for everybody, and the, it, it, it's, it's instant snap logic. You're thinking, oh, you mean like a circle with a with a angled line through it, right? Yes, right. that's exactly what I'm talking about. The music inside of this, Ray Parker Jr.'s Ghostbusters theme song, it is an anthem. You and I have been whistling it for the last couple of hours as we're going in and out to dinner yeah. and prepping this and that inside the studio. I mean, it is infectious still. This many years later, it's still there. And I, I, I did they use it inside this newest one? Do we, do we know? Uh, there is a version of the a song version. that okay. has been redone, redone, 
Okay. That I refuse to comment on right now. Well, and I'm also not going to comment it, mostly because I haven't heard it. No. <laughs> what I do know is that the Lucky stuff. From, you. Yeah. What I do know is that the stuff back from 1984, incredibly impactful still to this day, especially for. Well, me. think about soundtracks, especially. Well, as anybody should know, any good moviegoer should know, a soundtrack is can make or break a film Mm -hmm. if a film has a crappy soundtrack you're not going to really it's not going to draw you in yeah and and not not just the theme song for a movie but those are important too the soundtrack in toto is important but think about the 80s specifically the 80s if you think about the films that came out in the 80s, almost all of the popular films that we remember mm-hmm. had a quote-unquote theme song. Yeah. The the funny thing is is that it's kind of surprising that the person who created the Ghostbusters theme song was not Kenny Loggins. Because Kenny Loggins was responsible for so many theme songs in so many 80s mo- movies. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, he at least sang in them. I don't think he wrote half of them. Well, no, (laughs) not necessarily saying that he wrote, but I'm just saying, think about it. Think about it. Top Gun, Kenny Loggins, Danger Zone, Mm -hmm. Caddyshack, Caddyshack, Mm -hmm. Kenny Loggins, Mm -hmm. I'm all right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And a whole bunch more. Yeah, yeah. Kenny Loggins. Whole whole shit ton of Kenny Loggins all over the place, (laughs) all over the 80s. Yeah, yeah. Again, the bottom line is that the soundtrack and the logo for Ghostbusters still, to this day, terribly impactful. So much so that this new not-in-the-same-universe, again, we're going to talk about Ghostbusters line of stuff, is jacking that same logo. (laughs) The era of hair. All of these men, unfortunately, Harold Ramis is gone. But both now Dan Aykroyd and Bill Murray have substantially less hair than they had inside of this film. Now, obviously, if you go back and look at it, they obviously had some product help inside of this film for their Well, hair. yeah, it was the 80s, man. But wow, you know, you, you go back and you think, okay, so who had great 80s hair other than Mike Wilkerson? And the answer is... These three guys. <laughs> Holy cow. Look at the hair. Sigourney Weaver had some good hair in this she movie, She did as well. Too. She did as well. Yeah. And there are a lot of things you can you can, you can can knock in the 80s. What you cannot knock in the 80s was the care for hair. <laughs> a vehicle, a firehouse, and a team collect. I don't know that until I was watching it today, but my love and want to eventually live in a firehouse... Probably from this. <laughs> Probably from this. That and my love of all things firefighter television movie-ness. Because you get to see them inside the firehouse and the pole and yeah. the, everything Everything is, has a place and is in its place. And your vehicle's inside your house and all the cool parts that, that, that wrap themselves around living inside of a firehouse. Uh, I, I've always dreamed of that, and there's even a firehouse that's three blocks from this studio right now inside of St. Charles, Missouri, that is, I'm certain, somebody's living in it now, but not no longer a firehouse. Mm. And so it, it, it it's all still there, but you get to see all of that inside of this. The team collects, you get to see the firehouse from raw to being finished. And again, something else that Nick and I watched during the uh, the watching and viewing of this most recent watch for Ghostbusters 1984, we actually watched the text commentary production notes inside of this that talked a lot about how this was, you know, just kind of this old dilapidated place that they went in and fixed and made into this place and then returned back to a place where the fire department could go back into it. Mm -hmm. Well, it even makes sense story-wise that Mm -hmm. the Ghostbusters would use a firehouse. Mm -hmm. Just think about it. 
uh, later on, they, they become a very productive and need, needed community yeah. source reaction force reaction right. force yeah. because the ghosts yeah. are coming ever the ghosts are coming out of the woodwork yeah so now here you you have police firemen ghostbusters mm-hmm. yeah and, and it, i i love that graft i don't know what this new one is doing whether it's taking on that uh, flavor as well but it is it's it's real it, it definitely works and in a time where first responders are held in very high regard mm-hmm. to most people right uh, it, it definitely is a one-to-one match i love that Hot dogs and the onion head. For those of you that don't know what I'm talking about when I say the word onion head, onion head is, of course, referring to Slimer. 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 That's right. It's what they called him inside of all the production notes. All the special effects guys referred to him as onion head as opposed to Slimer. Eventually, he became Slimer. But the reason that we're mentioning him here, though, is that when I think of this movie, there are two things I think of. One, the red circle with a slash through it with a ghost popping out of it. And two... Onion head with hot dogs in his mouth. Yeah. Those are the two things I think of instantly when I think about this movie. Right. And it's in every trailer that I can think of. It was in the video game that I remember playing back in the, maybe the early aughts? Something. I, I pulled it out for the, the PC on uh, one of the gaming platforms for PCs. And it was it was excellent. The special effects in that were also equally as good as was the storyline. This is a franchise that has lots and lots of power. Now, the power of paranormal and the interest in it in general is something that cannot be denied. And so when you take something that is essentially a first response reactive force to help quell the development of paranormal activity, you've just described the Ghostbusters. Yep. And so being able to take that into different realms is why this new movie got made. Yes, I get that. But it really does have lots of great potential story development. (laughs) A ballroom blitz. There are two things. There are several things that happen inside of the ballroom scene inside of this where they finally do capture the onion head slash Slimer. Yeah. Uh, it's a great scene. I love the the I don't care nature that really does mirror what happens inside of firefighting activities. The sample is if your house is on fire, there's one thing that the firemen are interested in doing. And the answer is putting out the fire. Right. If that means that they're going to get 90% of your house wet doing it, very typically, that's what happens mm-hmm. because they don't want the entire structure going up. They want to put out the fire, but make sure that everything is mediated as opposed to anything burning underneath. And what that traditionally means is that there's lots of damage inside of fire rescue stuff. Right. The exact same thing happens here. The goal, capture the ghost. The rest of it, mm, we don't really care what happens. Yeah, there's really going don't. to be collateral damage yeah. and... And unfortunately, we're not responsible. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And by the way, it's time to pay us cash money. Yeah. So, again, I I really enjoyed the the ballroom scene because of that. But then also because being able to deliver that that little conversation that the Ghostbusters get to that smarmy, total asshole guy that called them there at the end. That is the dream discussion that you hope to have with a customer someday that I haven't. I've never been able to have that kind of style of conversation well. with the customer where I can go, oh, we'll just put the ghost back. That's no problem. Yeah, we can put it back. It really is satisfying, especially to anybody that's inside of a service provider realm of any kind. It is that, oh, yeah, no problem. We'll take care of it by putting the ghost back. Mm-hmm. I love that scene. <laughs> the hilariously rubber-like lines of the proton pack streams. 
This was another tremendous find that you and I heard about inside of the special effects features discussion inside of the DVD that you and I watched. Right. And inside of this, and I mean, now looking at it, they're absolutely right. What they wanted to convey coming out of the proton packs inside of the special effects was if you could take rubber lines that were somehow electrified shooting in a general direction. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That is exactly what they did inside yep. of the special effects here. Anybody that is a developer of any kind, whether like me or a web developer or you draw or anything, when you can say, I want to, and then insert whatever it is you want to develop, and then you see it come to fruition, the satisfaction from that is absolutely indescribable. And so being special effects of anything inside of uh, Hollywood and creating films and television series and you know original content on online services, all of that has to be incredibly satisfying. And to hear the the craftsmen that do that every day talk about that inside the special features, inside of this DVD, it's tremendous stuff. Oh, yeah. Well, it, it goes back to uh, being a, a the, the comparison to police and firemen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The entire, the, the process of holding on to using, uh, using the proton pack, it's akin to handling a fire hose. Mm-hmm. It's it's you, you must control where the stream goes because it will go everywhere if you do not control it mm-hmm. and and the 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 fact that it does waver quite a bit shows how skilled you you must be and this scene shows since they've never used any of this equipment before how unskilled all three of them are yeah because they have no idea it's it's basically it was a crash course for all three of them on how to use the equipment that they're supposedly supposed to be using to catch these ghosts yeah yeah it's tremendous everything on the lead up to it the execution of it and then eventually seeing them as now seasoned veterans that go oh yeah you're here to help us with the job fine come on in we need the help mm-hmm. you get that entire span and I, I think about 25 30 minutes max inside yeah. of this film and that's tremendous it's tremendous storytelling it's 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 being able to grab the taco of content, shove it in your mouth, take a couple of bites, and now you're completely familiar with the entire universe that you're watching. I really appreciate that in this movie. <laughs> Three guys running down the street dressed as Ghostbusters nowadays. This, unfortunately, especially in today's political and terrorist-ridden climate, would be a very sobering moment inside of anybody that was wearing a duty suit and what looked like a proton pack with something handheld in it. And it's not just because of the events of the last couple of weeks inside of American history and and culture. It's because it's alien at this point. You you could not possibly be three Ghostbusters running down the street with what looked like firearms in your hands, pointing them in general directions and everything's fine. It It wouldn't work today. And that's why being able to visit this movie back in '84, I think, is tremendous. Hmm. I don't. I don't agree. Really? No, Tell me. It, it's the Ghostbusters, man. They're synonymous. Maybe not across the seas, according to the the foreign box office. <laughs> but here in America, if you've got a jumpsuit on and a pro and something that looks like a proton pack on your back, and you've got that symbol, you're a Ghostbuster. I think I could put on a jumpsuit right now, throw on a, a, a makeshift old uh, a vacuum cleaner, 
with the with my little hose coming out of it, I could run down the street. People know exactly what I am. I don't think the SWAT team will be called. <laughs> I don't think there will be any kind of uh, 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 you know choppers in the sky, maniac trying to kill people with uh, with a Hoover with a Hoover, <laughs> duck and cover. Time for the Hoover. No, I I think. Uh, and that's where we ask you guys to help us make the call. Would would someone be detained or, or shot in worst case if you were wearing what amounts to a Ghostbusters outfit running down the street nowadays? Let us know what you think. Going over to our Facebook presence, that's facebook.com forward slash two guys talking. Start a new thread there or chime in on any one of the ones that's already there. And tell us what you think about the propensity of being shot at while wearing a proton pack. Richard Thornburg shows up to EPAI's The Place. I love Richard Thornburg. (laughs) He has some different name inside of this film, but I don't even recognize him as anybody else on planet Earth. In fact, if you snapped him the way he looks right now and dropped him into any of the Die Hard films, he would instantly be recognized as Richard Thornburg. And so it's, it's... I love it. I love seeing him. I love it when he gets his. I love it when he's smarmy. I love everything about the guy that plays Richard Thornburg that isn't Richard Thornburg inside this this movie. Right. His name, of course, is William Atherton, but yes. I'm always going to remember him as not Richard Thornburg. You see, I'm the complete opposite. Every time I see him, I always think of Walter Peck. Oh. <laughs> I always think of Walter Peck from Ghostbusters right. and All not right. and not his character from the first two Die Hard films. Interesting. That's another call to the audience. But that's the thing. We're we're talking about just two movies, though. I am sure he has been in more films than that, but yet all we can think of is Die Hard and Ghostbusters for him. I think of Ghostbusters as a total secondary element, though. They're... He's essentially the same guy. In fact, you know what happened? He... The timeline (laughs) even works. He probably got tossed... Out, Out of, of the York. EPA, right? Changed his name and became a uh, a news reporter in that in knows LA. everything in L.A. Right there, there you, go. you go. There Boom. you go. Boom! Did you get that? <laughs> the establishment of the gatekeeper and the keymaster. I think I was twenty two when I finally realized what they were. Mm-hmm. nudging and meaning inside of this movie when you say key master and gatekeeper. Mm. Isn't that sad? <laughs> but, I mean, it's it's terribly evident now, especially as I look back on it, but I can't believe that I wasn't hit over the head as hard as most people would be inside of what you see inside of this film. Yeah. The the innuendos yeah. are, well, that'd Complete. be pretty blatant right now. Yeah, yeah. When you're, when you're older and you understand the workings of... Uh, what happens when a, a, a man loves a woman? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I, I wanted to make sure that I mentioned that, and it it, it, it struck me that I, I remember specifically having a realization moment inside of uh, when, when I was watching this. I think maybe that before Christmas time-ish. Mm. That's when I remember, ding, suddenly, all of a sudden, things now click and make sense. They're talking about boning. That's right. That's got to be it. <laughs> The mayor's office scene. Those of you that are wondering where my favorite Bill Murray moments are, they're all right here. This movie is full of awesome Bill Murray moments, but yeah, yeah, this one is what I take away as Bill Murray's best work and what I love to emulate when people are just really, really up in my grill. 
and really want to cheese me. This is what I would love to be able to pull out and just throw back at people because it is that good. It really is awesome. The value and reality of matte painting art. We're going to talk about special effects even more in depth later on, but something that discerns absolute respect inside of not just this film, but like all films. All films pre-CGI effects. Yeah, is the absolute power of matte paintings. Yeah. And for those of you that don't know what matte paintings are, either because you're too young and don't know what they are, or those of you that never realize that many of the gorgeous scenes that you've seen inside of movies like Star Wars and this movie and thousands of other movies, a matte painting is a giant painting that very often is taken and either composited into a shot or is physically made to present you with what you are supposedly seeing, Mm -hmm. but you're not. It's actually a painting. And the ones that are used inside of this movie are just tremendous. Oh, yeah. Any any one of them would be an instant classic on anybody's wall. Instead of the largest wall you have inside your home, all of them inside of this film would be absolutely priceless and perfect pieces of art. They they are tremendous and they they instill so much power and and detail and and kick along the storytelling immensely. I I, I don't. The reason I put the bullet point here is because I don't know how to effectively tell all of you the power of a matte painting. It's just, it's tremendous. Oh, yeah. No, it's actually, there was there was a few. Had we not been watching the film today with the production notes attached to it, there were a few matte paintings in the, in the film that I didn't even realize were matte paintings. I yeah. thought they were actual either parts of the scenery mm-hmm. or uh, a, 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 a created for the movie. And it was, it, it was... It it was a painting. You somebody somebody made this with a little brush, and it looked that real. Yeah, and you superimpose it on top of live action footage, and it fits seamlessly. Okay. Yeah, it's it's absolutely amazing, and especially as an artist, it's myself, a dead art too. Sadly, it, yeah, because is, of because of the fact that it's cheaper to do so, to create something mm-hmm. in a computer. Yeah, that's what you do nowadays. Yeah. yeah, it's definitely a dying art, but man, the people that can and do do it still, mm. man, just so much power. Oh yeah. <laughs> Choose the destructor. So inside the silence we left here, who did you choose as your destructor? Nick? Howie Mandel. <laughs> Howie Mandel, awesome. So like pre-deal and ordeal or? Oh yeah, we're talking about full head of hair, putting <laughs> surgical gloves over his head and blowing him up okay. with his nose. Howie Mandel. <laughs> Interesting. Flowery shirts, Howie Mandel. Yeah, this is actually a contest called all of our audience. We're willing to give you guys a copy of the new coming out in four months Ghostbusters Blu-ray, it 2016. If you can tell us the most original Destructor that you can tell us about by going over to our website. That's Two Guys Talking Horror. Click on the contact button on the right-hand side of the page. Fill out the quick web form and tell us who is your destructor. The concept of crossing the streams. Again, now as a 46-year-old man, when I say crossing the streams, very often what that now means for me is my 9-to-5 job, which is as a marketing automation director, mm-hmm. slash web guy, slash project shit is on fire, please help us put it out guy, yeah. shan't cross the streams of my two guys talking podcast network generation stuff. 
But the concept of not crossing the streams is still an incredibly valid one for me. And had it not been for this movie, there are many other things where I would not have known to, to call it Don't Cross the Streams. And it has served me in many conversations with people so that they get the concept of what I'm talking about. Don't Cross the Streams, a blah. They get it. They instantly get it. Right. So it's another piece of the magical universal lexicon that something like Ghostbusters has spilled onto the populace of everywhere. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Don't Cross the Streams. Uh, it's synonymous. I mean, it, it really is synonymous with things like Stranger Danger. Look yeah. both ways. Yeah. It's it's something that pretty much can sum up, don't do this or something bad's going to happen. Yeah, yeah. It's plain and simple. Uh, it's tremendous. And again, anything inside of a movie or a phenomenon where you can grab little foundational life elements like that yeah. is always a good thing. Yeah, the only thing more foundational than things like don't cross the streams is that we always have to take a break and thank the sponsors oh yes everybody come right back as we go to break here during the two guys talking horror perspective review of 1984's ghostbusters directed by ivan reitman we'll be right back are you addicted to hot sauce spicy foods mouth water and barbecue chili peppers or buffalo wings oh yeah well do we have something for you Join Scott Roberts, host of the Weekly Firecast, a foodie podcast on the Two Guys Talking Podcast Network that features the best of fiery foods and barbecue. Whether you like cooking over fire or crave food that feels like fire in your mouth, there's bound to be something for you. So tune into the Weekly Firecast at twoguystalking.com and savor the burn. You can try and learn about voiceover all by yourself, or you can get you and your voice to school. Check out Voice Farmers VoiceOver Academy today and learn how you can make money with your voice. It's all available over at voicefarmers.com. That's voicefarmers.com. Things in 1982 were a lot more simple. BMX bikes, the Versailles apartment complex in Schaumburg, Illinois, the sweet, innocent kiss of Andrea Schaefer, and of course, a little film from a man named Steven Spielberg called E.T. Science fiction, the detail of a broken but still together family, the relationships that were made when you were 12, ones that are never again truly realized. It seems a lot heavier than most remember, but all of these things and more await you in the Two Guys Talking Perspective Review of Steven Spielberg's E.T. 1982 on the Two Guys Talking Podcast Network. Check it out now at twoguystalking.com. That's the number two, guystalking.com. Looking for a straightforward user interface on a cost-effective, feature-filled, multi-track recording software? Call off the search. Mixcraft from Acoustica has exactly what you're looking for. It's time to include reliable audio creation and editing software with real punch into your projects. Check out Mixcraft now over at acoustica.com forward slash Mixcraft and start a new generation of audio creation and editing today. This is Vic Porcelli, host of the Two Guys Talking Poker podcast, and you're listening to the Two Guys Talking Podcast Network. Don't miss the next episode of the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. podcast. 
Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. isn't just a television show now on ABC. It's a great new podcast, available at agentsofshield.tv, only on the Two Guys Talking Podcast Network. I'm Bob Chrisman from the Galaxy Cast, reviewing sci-fi entertainment and more on the Two Guys Talking Podcast Network. Everyone, welcome back to the Two Guys Talking Horror Perspective Review of 1984's Ghostbusters. Directed by Ivan Reitman. Who you gonna call? Two Guys Talking! Just as every feature film has goods, there's also the bad. There weren't many inside of this film, but boy, there were a couple of doozies here. Not a lot, but there are two that uh, you would probably say stand out above everything else. There it is. A free-roaming, full-torso podcaster. The only kid and family inappropriate moment in the movie Ghostbusters 1984. I think I thought of a second one as I was reading the, the the passage for this, but the one that is off the charts, completely not acceptable for family and kid consumption inside of this film is the oral sex scene featuring Ray inside of this film. The dream of Ray having fellatio performed upon him <laughs> by a beautiful ghost. And really, you don't see anything. It's no, all it's, it's, all, it's implied. all implied. It's all inferred. You're absolutely it's, right. It's, you see the ghost hovering above him. She disappears. And the next thing you know, mysteriously, his pants are being un, unbuckled and zipped down. Then it's a close-up of his face where his eyes cross. And, and But again, like I said, it's also a dream. Yeah. So it's a dream yeah. sequence of a ghost mysteriously giving Dan Aykroyd mouth love. <laughs> So yes, inappropriate, inappropriate for children. Yeah, yeah. but unless it's a really smart child who's well, I'm sorry to say, if a child actually knows what's going on, then there's more problems than him watching Ghostbusters. I, I agree with that. It just again uh, digging up for bads, but right, still exactly the the, the, the one be another one. The one inappropriate moment definitively inside of the film that will always be cut from when it is shown on television. Yeah. That's a big Twinkie. Stop motion detail. Look, guys, this is not Jason and the Argonauts, okay? So <laughs> I don't want to make it sound like we're wailing on people here, but right. Nick and I have commented several times on the value of the special effects inside this film. Right. And they are tremendous. Mm-hmm. They are absolutely tremendous. With the possible exception of two or three scenes that feature stop motion inside of this film. Yes, unfortunately. And they're short, they're not long, but they are impactful. Mm -hmm. They're all action scenes. And so having something stop motion based that is, look, it's 80 stop motion before CGI stop motion. It's definitely felt inside this film. Right. And again, like we said, we're not, we're not dogging. On the fact that we don't, we're not saying, ah, oh, stop motion animation sucks. No, I am a huge Ray Harryhausen admirer. I love mm-hmm. his work. Yep. And the fact that he is the pioneer of stop motion animation. Ah, there's just a handful of moments in this movie where, oh, yeah, everything's going great where the special effects are concerned. And then there's that. And then they're not. Three seconds. Yeah. 
of a stop motion animation gag uh, with imposed superimposed onto a live action background and it just really doesn't fit it, it rips you out of the moment yeah it it, it it for those of you that are familiar with the concept of uncanny valley not only does it take you out and completely destroys the uncanny valley it's as if the uncanny valley was never there it, it, it's it, you are unable to go that's a piece of movie because it's that distracting mm-hmm. and it's very short they're they're not long moments but they are definitively stop stop motion right moments inside the film the rest of the effects are tremendous that again still the, stands up to yeah. today's standards for me i'm sorry the, the ballroom blitz scene that nick and i referred to inside of the goods inside of this review is still to this day hold up instant super high value target for some of the best special effects ever transformation scene of the librarian at the beginning of the film where yeah. she goes to just peaceful librarian to the the withered hag that's screaming out i mean that's a but that still stands up in my mind yeah i agree Two guys talking horror. What's your emergency? Dana's domicile delay. What we're referring to here is that there's a segment right in the right in the middle of this movie. After their first call comes through, they get done with the ballroom blitz scene, and then there's that montage of success. And I think what a lot of people forget about is that during the montage of success, there's still some creepy shit going on over Dana's house. And it never gets readdressed. It, it's a definitive nitpick inside the perspective review of Ghostbusters, but I think it's a valid one. Why Why would, and I get that it's making money, but why would Peter just drop the potential to get inside of Dana's pants ever just because of money and he's busy? I don't think so. Well, right. Now, it's, it's really actually the fact that there is no activity going on at Dana's apartment. That is the problem, in my mind. She had a problem. They went to investigate. And because he likes her, he's going to keep looking into it. Mm-hmm. But we're led to believe that during all this time of success, nothing else has happened. Because we ke- it, during that montage of success, we keep seeing clips of Dana watching television or listening to the radio, listening to the the success of the Ghostbusters. Mm. And it's not until after this successful montage that we even go back to the fact that Peter is investigating Zool and the apartment complex. And you're wondering, you're left to wonder, it's like how much time has passed? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Why haven't we gone back to this? And of course they may have gone back to it. There may be a missing scene that got cut from the final film because uh, the movie was already too long. Mm-hmm. Uh, watching the the production notes version of the film today, we learned several scenes that were actually in the script never got filmed, mm-hmm. and a handful of scenes that were in the script got filmed but then never made it to the final cut because they either, A, didn't make any sense, or B, some of the the, the gags didn't work, or C, it, it just didn't, it didn't help the story mm-hmm. at all. Mm-hmm. We also learned that there were a lot of things that were shot in order for the script, but just got shuffled up in the editing. Mm-hmm. So who knows? But it is this big flag that goes off going, hey, whatever happened to Dana Barrett? And I actually kind of think that the, the filmmakers knew about that. That's why they put scenes of her in her apartment, experiencing their fixing success her block. cello, making dinner, listening to them having a successful mm. uh, successful start to their, their, their growing business. Mm. Maybe that was their way of, hey, don't forget about Sigourney Weaver, because she's going to be important again later on. 
I think that's well said. I, in fact, I think that might be the fix to the neck. That's very good. Yeah. Are you the podcaster? An abrupt end that Reitman and Ramis liked. Again, inside the production notes, what they admitted to outright mm. is that this could have done with some sort of epilogue, something at the end that would then tack on a, a bow is the wrong word, but something that was a more, and this is the end, where the letters yeah, T-H-E-E-N-D could have appeared. There was a whole bunch more stuff that happened after Gozer and, and everybody was defeated. There was stuff on the roof. There was more stuff in front of the building. Mm-hmm. There was more to the script and more to the movie besides what we saw. And, and the filmmakers just decided, you know what? The Ghostbusters won. They save the girl. Uh, the movie's over. Just, just let's roll credits. Yeah. And you know what? The thing is, is that it's not jarring for me. No, it's not for me either. I, I, again, just the, uh, especially in a realm where you have something like Die Hard mm. and any of the other movies that we've mentioned recently, where there is a more definitive end point inside of a feature film. That that is something that they referenced both inside of the production notes. What they referenced inside of the production notes was that Reitman and Ramis were absolutely fine with it ending the way it did. Yeah, and I I, I don't disagree. It was not a bad ending at no, all. No, no, it's just definitively abrupt. And you get you get closure during the the ending credits because they're coming out of the building. The crowd's going wild. Bankman kisses Dana. So you're like, ah, okay. So maybe because he did save the girl, maybe there will be some between those two okay because if you you would have had dialogue to so are we gonna go out oh well you did save me so uh maybe i'll throw some at you you a peter vankman sexy doctor you you know that would have i actually i think that would have cheapened it the fact that they shared kind of an awkward kiss in front of a large group of people kind of makes you wonder well did she just kiss him just to shut everybody up I mean, yeah, he is kind of cute, but he's also a bit of an ass. Yeah. Or do they have a future? Because you got to remember, this was the day and age when sequels weren't a definite thing. Yeah. This was well. If we make enough money, maybe we can do a sequel. Maybe there'll be the, there'll be reason to. Mm-hmm. You know, unlike today, where it seems like uh, a movie doesn't get released. Well, yeah. a, fo- a movie doesn't get released unless it has a three picture <laughs> deal sitting on the table of some executive's office. Yeah. Yeah. So it I mean it worked. That them them packing up their gear, waving to the crowd, and heading out. Yeah, yeah. That's actually where we ask you guys, what else did you think you found as a negative inside of this movie, 1984's Ghostbusters? Let us know what you think by going to our website that's over at two guys Click anywhere on the right hand side of the page, fill out that quick web form, and tell us what you thought was a negative inside of 1984's Ghostbusters. Ah, the moment where we get to choose, 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 not the destructor this time, but the value of what we assign to 1984's Ghostbusters, directed by Ivan Reitman, starring a cavalcade of people that were just in the very beginnings of their careers, but have had so much impact now these many 30 plus years later. The scale works thusly. 10 is on top. The creme de la creme. Another Zool. On the other side is a one where we don't want to go there for sure because the destructor will be chosen. Everything starts at a seven. The numbers go up with positives. The numbers go down with negatives. And Nick, there are no halvesies. Nick, what do you got? You know what? There's two 
ways of looking at this film. Mm -hmm. For me, at least. Yeah. There is the nostalgia. Oh, yeah. There's the, 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 I'm wearing the nostalgia glasses where this movie is concerned because... Hardcore. I grew up on this movie. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't even just the movie that introduced me. Uh, like a lot of people, I'm sure, that were my age when that movie came out, you really weren't introduced to Ghostbusters the film. You were introduced to Ghostbusters the cartoon, the real Ghostbusters. And that led you to later on being able to watch Ghostbusters. Maybe mom and dad were watching it in the, you know, in the, the living room and say, can I watch it now too? Mm -hmm. and maybe you were a little old enough to where they thought that you would be able to understand. Remember, the movie is rated PG. Mm-hmm. So, but PG in 1984, you, you still get you got away with some stuff. I like I said, I I, I love the cartoon because that's what I was exposed to. Mm -hmm. I mm -hmm. I bought the I had my my mom bought me the toys, mm -hmm. and then I loved the movie. Mm -hmm. The movie was something that was watched over and over. It was much much like the Star Wars trilogy, and Goonies, and Back to the Future. All of those great films that either came out in the mid 80s or just before. They're staples. It's it's a nostalgic feel of my childhood and how my childhood just rocked mm -hmm. because I could pop in the VHS tape and watch them anytime I wanted. Mm -hmm. So if I was rating it with nostalgia, of course I'm going to rate it a 17 mm -hmm. because this is Ghostbusters, man. Mm -hmm. But as as an actor, as a filmmaker, as a writer, as somebody who understands movie making, somebody who appreciates good storytelling. There are certain flaws that I wouldn't even put. Uh, I, th that's why they were never in the bad category because they weren't bad. They're just flaws. Mm -hmm. uh, very the, the the biggest flaw is the character of Winston Zeddemore. Not enough Winston Zeddemore. Kind of introduced a little bit late in the movie, and you he's the only one that you really don't get a lot of character development. He's supposed to be your everyman because he's not the scientist. He's supposed to be your your the the audience's guide into this wacky world. But the thing is, is that they did such a great job the first hour of the film. You didn't need a guide. I agree with that. You, he, you didn't need one. If you don't have him inside the film, you lose nothing. You lose nothing. But the thing is, though, is that you can't think of the Ghostbusters without Winston because there's four of them. Mm -hmm. And therein therein lies my flaw with the film is that there should have been more attention to creating that fourth character and giving him a little bit more time to develop. Mm -hmm. And they didn't do that. Mm -hmm. So, since I have to put nostalgia aside for logic, Ghostbusters 1984 gets a solid nine for me. I think a nine is a great number for this film. You're absolutely right on the front end of the nostalgia load for mm. for this film. The the soundtrack, the people that are included inside of it, the vision slash imagery that's painted indelibly inside of your mind after watching just this for one first time, and then the many times subsequently that you can be walking by a television anywhere and note that from any moment you're watching it, you will then sit down and watch the rest of it. Yep. All of that factor is here inside of Ghostbusters, no matter when you accidentally happen upon the feature film. Uh, again, it is... My opinion, Bill Murray's best work. Mm -hmm. This flavor of Bill Murray and Peter Venkman slash super dry wit. Oh, yeah, well, up yours. I love that wit. It is one of the very definitive pieces of comedy that I really do like. And I will go out of my way for. But it's got to be that. And not nearly 
the dick joke slash har har slash nutshot stuff that we get nowadays in regard to comedy. None of that stuff interests me. I'm looking for someone that can compete with people that are using their their humor and their personality to develop it, not quite as a weapon, but as something that is a almost a defense mode when it needs to come out and rear itself. And I think Bill Murray does that in spades inside right. this movie. It's it's tremendous. The other thing you get is that really wonderful reactionary force that you want to watch. When you get done with this film, you instantly want to know what is their next mission. What are they going to be doing next? You'd mentioned the toys and the cartoons. I never got into the cartoons, but because of this movie, I did get into the comic book. Mm-hmm. And I only collected maybe 10 of them, and then I just fell into time to not be comic book collector anymore. It wasn't because I didn't care. It wasn't because it was bad story writing. It wasn't because I didn't care about Ghostbusters anymore. It's just there were more important, prioritized things at the moment. And so it's still out there. It's still out there today. The people that were standing in line for Ghostbusters 2016 this last weekend, they're all ready to go. Whether it's the people that are nostalgia-ized, like many of the people we're talking to right now, Mm -hmm. or someone that's new that only knows the concept of Ghostbusters. Well, what are they going to come out with now? Wait a minute, that Michelle, what's her face is in the movie? Awesome. I got to go see this. Doesn't make any difference. It's all still got impact, and it all has the moniker of Ghostbusters. I give this movie a nine also. That's where we ask you, what do you give this movie? A classic, 1984's Ghostbusters. Let us know what you think by going over to our website. That's twoguystalkinghorror.com. Click anywhere on the right-hand side of the page. Fill out the quick web form and tell us what you ascribe this as a number from 1 to 10 inside of the perspective review of Ghostbusters. Who you gonna call? Two Guys Talking! The Franchise. One of my favorite pieces of every perspective review we partake in, Nick, is that we get to go and explore something that most don't, which is the franchise. The franchise of Ghostbusters has been storied since the day that Ghostbusters ended Mm. after Ghostbusters 2, a couple of years after this one was developed. And it continues 32 plus years later as we record this podcast. I think it's never been a dead moment I think that all of the cartoons that you watch from stem to stern, they develop not only the same characters, but then auxiliary characters so as to grow Mm -hmm. the stories, to give you different veins of interest. I'm certain that there was probably a master villain inside of the Ghostbusters-ness, or was it all just reactionary force? This week, they're going to get more ghosts. Yeah. I mean, there were some recurring ghosts Mm -hmm. that would pop up over and over a handful Mm -hmm. of times. But no, it was very episodic. That is gold. (laughs) It's why Two Guys Talking has succeeded so well as it has over the years, because we love glomming onto things that are episodic. Uh, There is value. There is innate nostalgia that's built in. But more importantly, there's purpose. Because if you can go back to a specific point where you can listen to a review of something right then, that's value. Mm. And that's what this gives you across every single segment, whether it's the original two films whether it's the cartoon stuff that you talked about, whether it's the comic book series that I referred to, or the little germination seeds that came up probably, you know, we're talking about this too, three, four years ago, where they were talking about how the Ecto-1 had completely fallen into disrepair. Mm. Someone owned it, but man, it was rough. It was a rough vehicle. And the instant that that started getting redeveloped is when there was a new revival for creating a new Ghostbusters team, which launched this last weekend in 2016, the middle of July. And it continues. It's robust, it's large, 
but it is in a completely different vein as of 2016. Mm. Really, when you when you talk about the franchise, the franchise is huge. And this is a perfect segue, not even a segue, because I'm going to stay on topic, but I'm going to add something to the franchise sure. because it is new. The This 2016 film mm-hmm. that has just been released. Mm-hmm. So let's let's go back. 1984, Ghostbusters comes comes out. It's uh, it, it's a monster hit. It's mm-hmm. it's a mega hit. Huge. Uh, it spawns a cartoon series. Actually, two cartoon series. There was the real Ghostbusters, and then years later there was the Extreme Ghostbusters, mm-hmm. which was really a continuation of the real Ghostbusters. Later on, mm-hmm. we also had a sequel, Ghostbusters Two, a film that uh, fans pan mm-hmm. quite often. Mm-hmm. I don't. I like it. It's not as good as the first movie, but it it still does have a Ghostbusters feel to mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. But then, yes, there 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 have been continuations of the franchise. There was a video game released in I want to say in the in the two thousand within the last eight, uh, five ten years for both the PlayStation Two and the Xbox Three Hundred and Sixty mm-hmm. called Ghostbusters, mm-hmm. and it was actually a, a, a huge feat for them to make this video game because not only is it based off of Dan Aykroyd and Harold Ramis's script for a third Ghostbusters film, but they brought back the original Ghostbusters to do the voices of the characters. Yeah. Yeah. So you've got Dan Aykroyd, you've got Bill Murray as Peter Venkman mm-hmm. yet again, mm-hmm. just in a video game. Mm-hmm. And the video game is you're 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 playing a new recruit, playing a new guy. Mm-hmm. So you get to learn to be a Ghostbuster. All right, how awesome is that? But not only that, IDW, the the comic book publishing company, IDW, has had a a very successful run of the Ghostbusters comics, which ties into the movies, the video game, and this comic. It's all canon, and it continues these stories. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And these characters are just like the characters that we know in these movies and in this video game. It's it's And it's written by fans just like us who have that nostalgia Mm -hmm. of the old stuff. Paying, we're, we're paying respect to the old stuff, but we're continuing. We're continuing. We're not. We're not dismissing. Yeah. That leads me to the point that I want to make right now. When this, the new Ghostbusters film was announced several months ago, where it was going to be an all-female cast, I personally would like to apologize to the world for the negativity that came out of the quote-unquote fanboy culture. There were a lot of people that completely dismissed the movie right off the bat mm-hmm. because it was all female. Mm-hmm. Guess what? Get over it. Who cares? I've never had a problem with the fact, oh, the Ghostbusters are going to be chicks? Okay. My big question is, is this a continuation of what we're doing or are we rebooting? And they were very hush-hush on that whole front. They Nobody wanted to give any kind of an answer. And you know why they didn't want to give any kind of an answer? Because if you actually came out and said, hey, we're rebooting Ghostbusters, you're going to get a lot of people going like, why? What was wrong with the original one? Why can't you say that those movies existed but still continue to do your thing? Mm-hmm. The only reason to remake something is to improve upon it. Well, when there was nothing to improve upon, all you're doing is just stealing a name and trying to make money off of it. That is my opinion. Because I know that this movie is a reboot. All you're doing is you're taking the name, you're taking the concept, and you're throwing 
four characters, brand new characters. None of them are, they're not female versions of the old characters. Not the daughters of, none not of that. that. It's not even a legacy thing. Mm-hmm. It's those movies never existed. The concept of Ghostbusters never happened until right now in this movie. And even though they got a lot of the original cast members to show up in this movie uh, to do cameos, I- I'm sorry, people are going to do things for a paycheck. I don't I don't believe that the original cast showing up just to have a cameo in this new movie is their way of saying, no, it's okay, forget about us, focus on them. I'm not dissing the movie because it's females being the Ghostbusters. I'm dissing the movie because... It's an average reboot to something that was above average 30 plus years ago. Yeah. It's insulting that we had to do something like this. Yeah. And it's an average movie. It's not even like laugh out loud funny or, oh my God, these special effects were mind blowing. It's an average comedy. Mm -hmm. They didn't do anything wow worthy. And I'm just going to leave it at that. Sadly, I, that's where the franchise is going to lead us now. It's it's everybody's going to forget, well not everybody. Us hardcore fans will remember. Mm-hmm. Today's audience, movie going audience, they're not even going to even bother to learn what came before. And that's that is my biggest problem with certain reboots. It's like we're just going to reboot we're we're going to make this because it's old and we're going to make it new for all these people. They're never going to know what this old stuff is because nobody cares about looking up the history of film and television and pop culture in, gen- in general, except for the, us, us, us stalwart warriors of pop culture and geekdom. So sadly, the the future of the Ghostbusters franchise is uh, left up in the air. Will it be subpar? Will we continue to just make average Ghostbusters merchandise and, and movies? Or will somebody actually say, hey, stop treating us like we're stupid and give us what we want? Something good. I don't care who you cast. Just don't treat us like we're stupid. Yeah. I, and I, don't forget about what came before. Right. And I, I think that's what I, the only, if I were to stamp a negative on what's happening in regard to legacy and tethering back to what was is the very first advertisement or portion of an advertisement that I saw for this. It referred back to 30 years ago, you... 30 years ago, four scientists saved the world. Right. Already you're getting it wrong because it wasn't four scientists. It was three scientists. Right. Winston Zeddemore was not a scientist. So already you're getting it wrong. Right. But you're making reference to something that in your movie never happened. Right. Doesn't exist. Exactly. Yes. I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. That was, and again, the scientist thing, I didn't even put two and two together until several months later. But the bottom line is then don't refer to it like that. Exactly. Because that, that, instantly lights the nostalgia fuse you know 30 years ago you remember the words who you gonna call four scientists answered the call and saved new york city Mm -hmm. you are instantly bathed right now inside of complete nostalgia except we're not going to use any of that Mm -hmm. and that is the if there was a problem i don't have a problem with it i mean it's out uh, it also is the reason why we're doing this perspective review, yeah. because I do want to foster and light the light the fuse on something that is legacy 
that other people can go and learn more about inside of the perspective review of 1984's Ghostbusters. But just prepare, folks, because there are efforts that will be ignited, that will light, that will catch on. The money that this uh, this new Ghostbusters film has made this weekend instantly solicits a sequel. No oh, yeah, of course. It. No question about it. And so there will be another perspective review of this most recent one coming out for Two Guys Talking Horror in between four and six months to give you guys a good, solid referral of what that film is going to hold for you. But just remember, it took 32 years to do the perspective review of the original. (laughs) So the encapsulation of between four to six months for this new one is going to be completely different Mm. franchise and feel. There's no question about it. So until next time, I'm Mike Wilkerson, one of your hosts. And I'm Nicholas J. Hearn, your other host. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Congratulations. You've survived this episode of Two Guys Talking Horror. We hope you were entertained and informed by our program. Take what you have learned and pass it on to your family and friends. It may just save their lives someday. Have questions? Comments? Suggestions for a future episode? Visit our website at www.twoguystalkinghorror.com. Click anywhere on the right-hand side and fill out our short web form. It's the easiest way to interact with the hosts. Beware of monsters, creatures, and all things that go bump in the night. And keep telling yourself, it's only a podcast. It's It's only. It's only a podcast. It's It's only a podcast. It's only a podcast. It's only a podcast. podcast.